Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Science Faction. The only show where a scientist, a comedian, and a comedian scientist come together to discuss science. Comedically. Hello, and welcome to Science Faction 604. Science Faction, Pooh Peanuts, and Luscious Venuses. I'm going to say that this was the worst Agatha Christie novel, although I did love how raunchy it got, and it was at the end of her career. The publisher didn't want to release it, but they were legally obligated to. It was actually a Perot mystery, but a very <laughs> sexual one. Oh, and speaking of a sexual mystery, I, of course, am your host, comedian archaeologist Robert Timothy. With me, as always, is my comedian, Mr. Damian Mercado. Damian, how are you doing this afternoon? Um, I'm doing great, but maybe you could have said, and the sexual Hercule Perot of this show, mm. Mr. Damian Mercado. Let me try it. Uh, and the sexual pariah of this show, none other than <laughs> Mr. Damian Mercado. You stop texting my wife, please, <laughs> when I tell her about my impotence listen it's because she's a woman it has nothing to do with her physical appearance she just doesn't have the equipment oh dear and if you guys want to have the equipment to listen to an extra episode <laughs> of science faction every week go ahead and search robert timothy on patreon there you'll find our extra weekly episode of science faction called i call bs that we do every single week where you get four additional science news articles incredible segue uh not to take away from that wait if you turned on a dime there bobby that's that's some handling i'm like a lotus elise baby <laughs> uh and if you're looking for another podcast if you're searching for something else to uh to fill your drive time or uh fill those uh that podcast need deep within you and you're the type of nerd who likes dungeons and dragons check out awful neutral it is uh my dungeons and dragons live play podcast but we also play a lot of other games it's a lot of fun and bobby's about to shit on it but before he does realize that this is ideological for bobby he has never listened to the show furthermore the show has the funniest some of the funniest fucking people bobby knows are on that show. I am, I am excluding myself from this. By definition, they're not being funny because they're they're playing a lame-ass game, so... It is fucking hilarious. I'll, if you love all the characters I do on this show, I do a lot more over there. We've had fans uh, like uh, Brutus Caesar Bobby uh, at two... Riggins by saying how much uh, they that they disregarded their conservative father's advice about Dungeons and Dragons and big city book learning. Don't do came it. Came over to the Berkeley of podcasts. Uh, it was a fine podcast of open mindedness, and now go home and sell their racist podcast science host dad to go fuck themselves. And I don't care if Thanksgiving's awkward. You're backwards and a tyrant. So you bragging that funny people are on your show is the equivalent of a guy bragging that he is a uh, fashion photographer. He uh, takes pictures of models and he just took pictures of uh, some of the hottest women on earth uh, wearing furry costumes. And you're like, but they're indistinguishable from non-hot women because they're just wearing a furry costume. There's literally no difference. Why would you waste hotness inside of a furry costume that cannot be conveyed. The furry costume cannot convey their hotness. Uh, similar to that, why would you take such incredibly funny people and put them on a, by definition, unfunny show? First off, Bobby, uh, a lot like furry conventions, it is an incredible alternative comedy format that you're just either, you either get it or you don't, old man. And it's like, this is it. I'm like explaining rock music to my dad. Also like furry conventions, you will never get the smell out of the room that you perform them in. <laughs> it smells like virginity in here. <laughs> Let me assure you, the furry convention does not. That does not smell like virginity. No. It smells like crusted cum inside of a furry costume. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's B.O. and pre-cum all around. All right, let's move right on to science. 
Articles. From molecules to particles, this is Science Articles. You know, like, do you think, like, if you go to apply to to be uh, to work at Disney, like, oh, uh, um, I want to be goofy. It's my dream to be goofy. Uh-huh. Whatever. Do you think that in their background check, they, have you ever purchased anything that could be used as like a furry costume or could be made into a furry costume? Because like somebody who who sexualizes costumes. True. That's a good point. Probably don't want her to be goofy. An animal, by the way. Well, they don't let them take them home, but I mean, yeah, you're right. You could still get into some some mischief there at work. I'm saying you could be horny at work. This is the idea. Yeah. I mean, how many how many times does does Disney have to screen? Out? No, these guys, these sick fucks, keep trying to embed themselves in our organization. We're not Six Flags or Knott's Berry Farm with these those fucks. Dude, speaking of which, this is a funny behind the scenes story. This happened to me not too long ago. I recently found out that. Somebody I knew a long time ago, who somebody I went to school with, became a romance novel writer. They have like a, a pseudonym in the whole nine yards. And a mutual friend of ours went, can you believe <laughs> this person? Her Puro. Yeah, who was like, who was actually like a Christian, like pretty, pretty staunch Christian fundamentalist and stuff. And they're like, can you believe this? Go ahead and check this out. Now, in my naivete, I have never read like a romance novel. I, I have Ooh. not read like one of these things. And I had figured in my... Again, naive mind. I thought it was going to be like, and then he held her as she trembled at his masculinity and they made love. I did not realize what these books like are and, and how insanely graphic they were. I was at fucking work with a Bluetooth earpiece in just sporting wood the whole day. His throbbing pirate member plunged deep within Agatha Christie. <laughs> Hercule Perot had come to life to savage Agatha. She, and this is when her career, she wrote herself into the novel just to get savaged by Hercule Perot. This is writing what mistake 101. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was quite shocking. And now I realize the power of words. I don't know that that would make the best Hallmark movie, like the time I sported wood all day at work, but like it did teach me the power of words. And you understand why Fifty Shades of Grey was so popular? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, on to article number one, a dose of poo and peanuts. Oh, right. This is a science podcast. (laughs) (laughs) As reminded by the scientific terms, poo and peanuts. (laughs) And wood at work. By the way, I I mean, tangentially, you are a scientist. So I want you to remember that scientists can be cranked all day at work, too. They're people just like the rest of us. By the way, poo and peanuts sounds like the worst first attempt at naming a Reese's peanut butter cup. <laughs> Maybe it loses something in the translation in from your native Russia. No, shit in peanut. Shit in peanut, is that? Ha, huh, okay. This is the most popular candy in Siberia. You say, yes, shit in peanut. You don't know. <laughs> it is uh, followed closely by number two, which is a uh, young child's index finger. <laughs> That's more for special occasion. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we may have finally found a solution to peanut allergies in poo. Sounds like a fear factor thing. Like Joe Rogan's talking to a a 13-year-old kid who can't have rhesus. All right. Now, if you could finish this poo smoothie, you won't have to worry about dying on a fucking plane 20 years from now. By the way, that sounds like Jamba Juice's most rejected flavor. <laughs> Baskin Robbins just let out a sigh of relief that you didn't select them. Oh, thank God he didn't say a 30-second flavor. 
<laughs> no, Java juice is funnier because then you can ask somebody if they'd like a scoop of cum in it. <laughs> Wait. We have way cum uh, or <laughs> regular cum. I would, I mean, honestly, I, I, I just want the FBI to stake out whoever gets a poo and cum smoothie because I want them on a watch list. Listen, I'm not, I'm the least big brother guy when it comes to police state, but if we... I know that because uh, you're the guy who started his own uh, Tinder ripoff called Watchlist. <laughs> uh, people just thought it was me rating movies, which I did go in a lot of rants. Oh, dear. So... Let's review peanut allergies. We've talked about this a few times on this show, but you might not be aware of it. Peanut allergies are a great story of unintended consequences. Starting in the 1970s and 80s, uh, we started getting better ultrasound and all this technology, and we started realizing that sometimes pregnant women went into anaphylaxis, incredibly rarely, but sometimes pregnant women who otherwise did not have a peanut allergy would go into anaphylaxis when exposed to peanut allergies, and in some percentage of those very, very, very small cases, the fetus would then die. So what did we do? We started advising, by we, OBGYN, started advising all pregnant women to stay away from peanut products and to keep them away from their young children. Now again, this was done with good intentions. The entire intention of this is let's make less dead babies. Well, the road to dead babies is paved with good intentions. Well, I mean, like, it really, when, when I hear, like, a peanut allergy is, like, one of those diseases that affects, like, mainly suburban kids. I'd be like, oh, you grew up, your mom read a lot of... A lot of bullshit. <laughs> Your mom worried a lot. But but this was good medical advice provided by, you know, well-informed and well-meaning physicians at the time. But it was just a mistake because it turns out without I come exposure- from a Mexican family, Bobby. Like, I can promise you, like, they don't- No Mexican mom wants their kid to die. But at the same time, they're not going to- Like, listen, I'm not give- What are we going to do? Not give my kid peanut butter? What are we going to do? Like, not- <laughs> I don't want him to die, but I'm not, like, really psyched on him living. Like, listen, I, I grew up, you know, like, there are things that kill kids, and it's usually has to do with members of the family. And, it's, <laughs> and, and that, or, or, or people blowing smoke in your fucking kid's face. <laughs> Peanut butter's fine. Or rabid dogs. We lived in a bad neighborhood. <laughs> We're also poor. I have to give a baby a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. It's just what I have to do. Uh, so what ended up happening was a bunch of kids were not exposed to that protein earlier on, both in utero and as young children, which increased the peanut allergy rate in this country to a degree that we have not seen in terms of like epidemiological increase since the pre-COVID to post-COVID numbers from 2019 to 2020. The numbers of peanut allergies went up, not 10%, not 20%, not even 100%, which would be two times the total amount. It went up 40 times, 40-fold increase in peanut allergies between the late 1970s and now because of this supposedly good and sound medical advice that was geared towards preventing fetuses from dying. Again, it was a blight upon suburban communities. I'm just saying, like, I want to see the demographics of, like, how many people at lower socioeconomic status have peanut allergies. I, I'm saying this, David. I think it puts our generation at an advantage because as we age, pretty soon, we are going to have a serious disadvantage to younger and stronger men. But if, like, if a scoopful of Jiffy is all it takes to equal out, we are we are sitting pretty, buddy. <laughs> Like uh, all of America, due to some blight that affects all other forms of food, everything's just a peanut base. <laughs> no, I mean, but like, you know, I don't know, some guy's talking a lot of shit. He's yelling at me. His mouth's open. I could probably dunk a Nutter Butter in there, giving it a couple shots, you know? You sure you want to be talking shit, Skylar? I got Jiffy. <laughs> I'll, I'll grease my knuckles. Like you just put peanut butter in your knuckles. <laughs> 
so peanut allergies have gotten way out of control in the last few decades, and it's obviously the cause of a lot of research because this really is a serious problem. I mean, we can joke about it all we want, but kids actually do die from anaphylaxis because of this. Kids get very sick because of anaphylaxis from this. Something that people don't talk about is a lot of times when kids have oxygen de deprived from the brain for long times, as can happen during anaphylaxic shocks, even though they don't die, a lot of times there are brain injuries that accompany low oxygen states like that. So there is a lot of like serious problems, not to mention that I can't send my kid to school with a peanut butter sandwich, they'll flip out, right? And that's fine, I understand, I want to keep the other kids safe. But like, if we lived in a world where we didn't have 40 times as many peanut allergies, that wouldn't be the case. You know, I was I was actually talking with my wife today because like uh, I, I have a lot of uh, friends like in the army. I see that what they post on social media and I'm just like, oh my God, like they're from small rural conservative towns. Sure. And like my thing is like, uh, and they all believe like Democrats are eating babies and everything. And my thing is like, if I were to talk to them and like use our trust, like they trust me. I know that they're not a bad person. They know I'm sure. not a bad person on a long enough timeline. And provided maybe I remove them from their community yeah. to someplace else, to a different environment, I could change them. Short of a TBI, they couldn't, or like electrical testicles, but you actually suggested like a less painful way. Nobody wants to get hit in the head with a pipe until they they want America to be great again. Sure. But if I could just have a Reese's peanut butter cup uh -huh. and just squeeze myself and reverse into, flowers into some for slight Algernon nationalism. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know, honestly, I'd be happier. I mean, Jesus Christ. <laughs> You guys had the confidence it takes to say the stupidest shit every day and then expect people to take you seriously on anything else you say the next day? Do you realize that level of confidence? I would kill for that, Bobby. I was considering taking a pipe to the head for that level of confidence, Bobby. So basically that that is the state of peanut allergies. And we've also <laughs> we also have some like interesting tidbits that suggest that the gut microbiome might be at play. Previous research out of Boston's Children's Hospital found that certain bacteria were enriched in the feces of babies without peanut allergies and without food allergies relative to babies who did. So again, the ones without the allergies had some extra bacteria or certain species of bacteria that were overrepresented juxtaposed to the ones who did have food allergies. And then the researchers then found this model in mice. They transfer that species of bacteria from the mice who don't have allergies into the mice that do, and the mice that do showed a remedy to their allergies. They showed their allergies slowly go away with the introduction of the different gut bacteria. And by the way, vice versa, when you introduce the gut bad gut bacteria into the mice that didn't have problems, all of a sudden they started having allergenic problems. Now, this isn't an immediate cure. It's not like the second it goes up there, all of a sudden you don't go into anaphylaxis or the second you go up, it goes up there and you're good, you do go into anaphylaxis, but it did show a trend over time. So in this particular experiment, they decided to set up an experiment to test directly what is going on with this gut bacteria in humans. Now, I am gonna go ahead and give you guys a huge limitation of this particular project. It has a tiny end number, tiny, tiny, tiny. This is a case study at best. So don't take these numbers to mean too much, but as a proof of concept, very intriguing. So let me quote you from the article. It'd be weird, the, I mean, uh, mice are cheap and poop is cheap. You think the, you think the end number could be a bit bigger on this? No, 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 this study is actually in people. Poop is still cheap. The team partnered with Open Biome, a nonprofit stool bank, to collect stool samples from healthy donors without allergic diseases and encapsulate the fecal matter into odorless, tasteless pills. The donors had avoided peanuts and tree nuts for a week, and their stool was analyzed by liquid chromatography and mass spectrometry to ensure it contained no traces of nut proteins. So basically, they are sure there is no actual nut proteins within this poo. That is an important part, because what we're not trying to do is the Princess Bride thing of a little, little bit of exposure and then get them better. We're going a different 
different route. So this can't have any actual peanut proteins in the poo pill itself. All right, everybody, we got word out. The uh, fecal team is in the building and they're looking to use the mass spectrometer. So uh, on high alert, last time they used this machine, it took weeks to get the smell out. It had nothing to do with the poo. They're just a smelly group of guys. They're like, yeah. no deodorant, nothing. You work <laughs> in the feces lab, gives you a little more leeway to not wear deodorant and shower every day if you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> It's kind of like how in the land of the blind, the man with one eye is king. It's like in the feces lab, the man who smells like B.O. is Don Juan. (laughs) Yeah, a lot of the smell clings to you. You take a lot of work home with you. The study enrolled 15 adults, note that tiny sample size, 15 is your end number, by the way, with severe peanut allergies. At the start of each trial, each had an allergic reaction to 100 milligrams of peanut protein, which is less than half a peanut. The first 10 participants took 36 poop pills over a three-hour period. So again, this is not a long-term treatment. This is three hours. After one month, meaning they went back a month after they had a three-hour treatment. 36 poop pills within three hours? That's not hard, though. It's just a pill. Like, how many pills you know, I, you I understand, follow? but, like, I, I've, I've seen, like, weightlifters, like, take handfuls of supplements. <laughs> sure. Like, you're, just, you're just doing handfuls of popcorns, but it's poop pills. I think they're spaced out. I don't think they're handfuls, <laughs> but yeah. After one month, 30% of the participants could safely consume a 100 milligram dose of peanuts. And by four months, two of these individuals had increased their tolerance to at least 300 milligrams, enough to guard against most accidental exposures. So these people did not lose their allergy to peanuts. They just upped their tolerance for it. But they did so over the course of three hours, one month before the treatment. The remaining five participants had the same poop pill regimen, except that beforehand, they took a four-day course of antibiotics with the aim of killing some of the bacteria naturally found in the body in order to clear space in the gut for the transferred microbiomes. That strategy seemed to work better. 60% raised their peanut threshold beyond 300 milligrams by month four. Very, very interesting stuff. So basically what we're saying is the transfer of specific microbial gut communities from one person to another is essentially lessening the effects of the peanut allergy they have. That is fucking amazing. Because again, we don't have to cure everybody of their peanut allergies. It'd be great if we could. We don't have to cure everybody of their peanut allergies. If we could get them to a threshold where a accidental exposure, like, you know, somebody cooked in the same peanut oil in the same pan or something doesn't kill you. That's fantastic. I know a lot of people who um, use their peanut allergy as an excuse to uh, chase the psychotic dragon. That's right. Epinephrine. Just... (laughs) Well, that that percent, 30% and up to 60% in the other ones, that's gigantic. That would save us tons of money in healthcare costs and deaths from anaphylaxis and some Southwest flights that would still get to serve personal packages of peanuts. Like our lives would get so much better with this possibility of this poop pill. By the way, another thing, if you've listened to me long enough, you probably get this. This is like a, a common theme for me. I always love whether it was like the seaweed in the cow's diet or the poo pills here. I always love when we find out like the secret to this thing we desperately want to solve is like free. Not only free, like we want to get rid of this shit that cures your disease. Like just take it. Like it doesn't get more free than poo. Every one of us pays somebody else to remove poo from us either through sewer fees or, or like having the guy come and clean out your septic tank. Like getting poo away is a priority. We have now possibly solved a problem, a really bad problem with something that is cheaper than free. 
See, Bobby, I think you actually are a fan of all natural uh, organic supplements. <laughs> they just have to meet very specific stringent standards. Your poo I'm just poo cheap as fuck. <laughs> all right, article number two. Venus a hell yeah. Venus a hell yeah. Like, yeah, we got Stone Cold Steve Austin. That's right. I've been a big fan of science faction for a long time. You'll read up about me. I think you'd be surprised about Stone Cold stances on a lot of issues. <laughs> Stone Cold supports stem cell research. Stone Cold supports stem cell research and identified people by their proper pronouns. Can I get a hell yeah? Stone Cold Steve Austin, he him. Hell yeah, brother. Causation does not equal correlation, because Stone Cold said so. (laughs) Anybody who thinks the world's flat is getting a Stone Cold stunner. So this is a story about the Venus de Willendorf. Most of you guys might have heard of this, maybe seen a picture in your like fifth grade social studies class or something, but it is oh, a- Oh, hell yeah, brother. For numerous reasons, it's a huge interest to me. So first and foremost, it's some of the earliest archeology span that we have throughout Eurasia is the Venus figurines, which they extend in some places up to like 10,000 years ago, but for the most part are present from like 30 some odd thousand years BC to about 20,000 years BC. So very, very long time ago, there is this culture called the Gravidian culture that's just basically all around Europe. It's ba- it's from Portugal and in through Russia. We used to have a lot of cultures like that, the ancient Northern Eurasians, a few others, but as uh, the Ice Age faded away, basically people started segregating into different genetic groups and being less cosmopolitan, if you could imagine that. You know, you go back far enough and similar to that, the story we were talking about, about Sub-Saharan Africa 20 to 50,000 years ago, where essentially one giant melting pot something is similar going on in Northern Europe between, you know, 20 to 30 some odd thousand years ago. So these Gravidian culture, this Gravidian culture is present throughout there. They're hunter-gatherers. They're megafaunal hunters, killing everything from mammoth to deer, you know, everything running around out there. And they are making these little figures of women. And they're stylized with parts of their body exaggerated. So for the women, the boobs are exaggerating, the butt is exaggerated, the stomach is exaggerated. Meanwhile, the arms and legs and heads are small or even sometimes absent. Like, they're like, fuck it, I don't even care if she's got a head. As long as she's got big old titties, it's fine. So, these figures are found from 20 to 30 some odd... People were limited by the amounts of clay that was workable at the time. And let me tell you, Stone Cold can't draw hands either, so I'm okay. (laughs) And by the way, these Gravidian cultures, these Gravidian people, we already know, they are kind of interesting in their physical size. The average height for males was six feet tall. This is in the Arctic regions 30,000 years ago, pre-agriculture. So that's a pretty big deal. It's in fact, one of the tallest prehistoric groups. Whereas the females, there's huge sexual dimorphism. The female average height was 5'2". So you actually you had, had very, very different arms and legs. <laughs> well, they were very slender. The people were very, very slender. They were tall and slender. So we have an average height of six feet tall and an average weight under 150 pounds. Estimated weight, obviously, they're doing this from bones, but still, that's a skinny dude, right? So like that tends to be what we see out there. And so maybe this is, you know, an exaggeration of these features. They don't get to see a lot because there aren't a lot of heavy set women running around. Maybe this is an ode to pregnancy. Maybe this is fucking Playboy 30,000 years ago. You know, it's literally a masturbation tool we don't know grug or whatever i don't know what the what the local dialect of these mm-hmm. people would have been but like a wife is be like a hitting a husband on the head with a prehistoric version of a frying pan so i imagine it's like a it's like a grinding stone just repeatedly with a grinding stone you don't 
have to do that once. I found prehistoric. No, no, no. I've seen th they have pretty thick brows back in the day. I think and like cavemen. So these Venuses are found throughout a large range of time and a large area, basically from Russia all the way into Europe. But one of the most famous was found in Willendorf, Austria in 1908, and it's dated to around 30,000 years ago. It has the very stylized big breasts and butt and stomach, the small uh, legs and arms, the head that has almost cross hatching across its face. So it seems to be a non-facial image, which usually indicates it's not a specific person. It could be an effigy or, or something that's being prayed to or something like that. That. And it's made of a stone called oolite, which is not only rare, but it is not found anywhere near where the Venus of Willendorf was found. In fact, what this paper just came out and said this week is this very famous figure, one of the most famous pieces of art in all of humankind, one of my favorites and one of the earliest pieces of art that we know of uh, in all of humanity, likely originated from northern Italy. Was this like the first woods porn like some guy stumbled <laughs> yes. upon like his woods porn stash. It could have been. And it went from like 13-year-old to 13-year-old throughout history. For tens of thousands of years, <laughs> yes. And, and you kind of bring up a good point because where the source of this rock is, there's two spots. One, the most likely spot is in northern Italy. Now that would require going over the Alps 30,000 years ago to get from there to Austria, which we think is probably impossible or it requires a really long you know, trip around them. The other option is there is a place that fits the chemical signature of the stone fits less well, but also kind of fits. And that's actually in Eastern Ukraine. And that fits because a lot of the other Venus figures are found in like that Russian Ukraine area. And so what's really interesting is this Venus of Willendorf that we've known for a long time has been a famous artifact. We have just discovered it itself is a mystery in that it comes from very far away. So that could mean that it came from raw stone that got brought into Austria and carved there. It could have been carved someplace in either Italy or Ukraine and then brought over over or traded, it could have changed hands, like Damien pointed out, dozens of times. This is a stone artifact. It has a long shelf life. It could have been passed down for generation to generation, maybe moving 10 miles each time, but ending up in a very short amount of time all the way in Austria. Whatever it is, we have discovered something, and that something is an even bigger mystery. I love papers like this. I love when we figure out mysteries of the past. Like, this wasn't answering a question to a mystery. This was discovering a mystery we didn't even know was there by looking into the past and being like, wait, the, this rock shouldn't fucking be here. How did they get here? How, what happened here? And now we get to spend the next hundred years or so answering that question. I like the idea that this is like the sisterhood of the traveling pants. Like this is the one item has bound so many. I, I, it's not really like I, I, the term Eskimo brother, but it's but yes. like if but if you've like shared masturbatory history with a piece of woods porn. Sure. Are, are, do other countries have have woods porn or Eskimo brothers? <laughs> well, maybe Greenland. <laughs> Or it's like America just so repressed that like it's the only country where like young teenage boys could be wandering through rural parts of the world and find woods porn. I found woods porn. Did Everybody you find woods, woods porn? porn. Of course. Yeah, I'm, I'm an American boy. What that was the original geocaching. <laughs> People from Australia and England, let us know if there's woods porn. <laughs> You know, it'd be funny if uh, I was just thinking about this. We brought up Eskimo Brothers is if we uh, if we talked some native Inuit from Greenland and we asked uh, we asked about the we were, we were just chatting with them. And then they asked us if we had American brothers who were friends who didn't fuck the same woman. that you fucked. <laughs> and I would say yes. <laughs> some. Some. <laughs> it's, it's not everybody. <laughs> But on one hand, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
they're just some Eskimo bros sitting around, like, making fun of somebody for not fucking the same woman. <laughs> By the way, Eskimo bros, I'm, like, picturing, like, th- there's some college up in northern Alaska that we haven't heard of, and the fraternity's there at a bar. <laughs> <laughs> they're chugging Will, blubber. <laughs> they're Epsilon Kappa. And they're <laughs> <laughs> We're Inuits, you racist fucks. <laughs> uh, dear, thank you, audience, for coming back for Science Faction 604, where you learned all about how you might get your peanut allergies cured with poo and how we might have just uncovered one of the greatest mysteries in archaeology. Thank you so much for joining us, and come on back next week for Science Faction 605. Welcome to the dorms here at Eskimo U. You're a transfer student, so you should know. We only have one word for hello, but we have 27 words for I'm going to bang your wife, bro. You've been listening to Science Fuction. Wait, that's not right.